Today's episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. The Fable and Folly Network supports creators of exceptional audio stories, including the one you're listening to right now. If you love our shows, we want to hear from you. Complete our listener survey at fableandfolly.com survey. This will help us learn more about you, what you like, what you'd like to hear more of, and how we can maintain an inclusive, safe atmosphere. As a thank you for your participation, we have extras and behind-the-scenes content from your favorite shows. Fans make the network what it is. Thanks for listening, and we can't wait to hear from you. Find our listener survey at fableandfolly.com slash survey today. It would still be a, a, a horrible nightmare. Like everything train-wise, like budget-wise, you know, like the winter, like we buy we buy trains with like the equivalent of 500,000 miles on them, like way out of their service range. Like the every, they're like complete junk. Every single thing we still breaking down. We spend more money on expanding things. Like for example, that could be like more realistic than actually just fixing anything because we spend way more money on um, expansions and actual maintenance for trains. And that's a lot of the reasons why our trains are always breaking down. I don't know. I, I think it'll be a terrible idea. I think, I think the living whatever situation would be cool. Living, I guess, in the train community, but you guys would all be stuck together. So it'll be funny. You know, it'd be like a one, it'd be a jail. It'd be a red line jail pretty much. And everyone would never get to work on time and people would lose their jobs every time it snowed. So <laughs> something like that. Previously in Greater Boston. I never asked Leon to help me move. So that leaves two possibilities, you know? Either he showed up spontaneously, knowing I was in need, or he scheduled my move into his calendar without telling me. Notice my office has one of the pneumatic tubes that carries messages to the publisher's office. The tubes are for him to talk to us, not the other way around. Usually he talks to me, and then I talk to you so that he doesn't have to talk to you. Now, who would tell Michael not to down another shot? No one would. And there it went, while the ghost of Leon shook his head. Braintree. Peabody. Haverhill. Lowell. All right. Fall River. Cambridge. I can't say that one without a reason. Uh, Framingham. Newton. Lynn. Worcester. This is Waltham. Quincy. Arlington. Revere. Somerville. This is Lemonster. Haverhill. Brookline. Somerville. Cambridge. This is. This is. This is. Greater Boston. This week in Greater Boston, Louisa updates her calendar in Louisa Beyond Leon. Gemma takes time for a gut check in Gastromancy with Gemma. And Michael discovers a source of ancient wisdom in Thunder Over Thunder. This week in Episode 7, Divinations. I will predict your future for you. Yes, you listening to my words in this very moment. But you need to do exactly what I say or the future will be impossible to read. First, make sure you have a dollar or two, a five, two singles, larger bills, fine. Next, find the closest corner store. Walk to it, purchase something. Purchase something small that you need or want, a pack of gum, carton of milk, a newspaper. Make sure the purchase will not round out to a full dollar or even 99 cents. Give the cashier your bills for the purchase. Take what the cashier gives you in return put it in your left pocket. Walk home. Clear your coffee table. Reach into your left pocket. Grip what the cashier gave you. Bring it out of your pocket and drop it on the coffee table. Observe carefully. Focus 
on the solar system of dimes, quarters, nickels, and pennies. What do you see? Look closer at their strange assembly. Observe their chaos. Focus. Do you see it there? Can you see it? This is your future. This is what's coming for you any day now and every day until the end of your days. Lisa woke to the sound of her phone chiming three times. Her phone was reminding her of an event in her calendar. She yanked the phone off the charging cord, remembering the time Leon lectured her about doing that exact thing. You'll disrupt the fibers in the cord and damage the battery, he'd said. It had been early, and they were lying in bed, and Leon wasn't awake. But as soon as she'd yanked her phone, he'd lifted his head, made his brief announcement, and then immediately fell back to sleep. He hadn't scheduled himself to wake for another 36 minutes. Impromptu lectures were one of the few things Leon didn't need to schedule, especially if they were about his least favorite subject, inefficiency. And he never repeated his little lectures. He didn't need to. He'd mastered the art of giving looks, somehow communicating, I told you you'll disrupt the fibers and battery, with only his face. Leon had a lot of faces, especially for a guy who was normally so rigid. You should rehang that painting and find a more secure stud in the wall, said one facial expression. If you don't sweep up those breadcrumbs from the toast you made, you'll get ants, said another. You should run a load of laundry with a tablespoon of baking powder and some vinegar to kill any bacteria in the drum of your front-loading clothes washer, said yet another Leon face. Louisa hated this. Not his face lectures, although they'd been annoying. She hated that she was still thinking about Leon. She'd forget for brief periods of time, and then there'd be another reminder, triggering a domino game of memories racing through her skull. He'd made some kind of impression, so much so that Louisa hadn't even noticed herself scrolling through the calendar on her phone. Sailing by weeks, months at a time, her fingers sliding up and down the screen looking for events Leon had added before his death. She refocused, shook her head, checked the notification that had woken her in the first place. She had a meeting with another bride this afternoon at some stupid upscale sew-your-own-gown shop on Newberry Street. That's where the bride insisted on meeting. She wanted shots of the dressmaking. Louisa thought about canceling, and by the time she'd finished having the thought, she realized she'd already done it. Her hands acted all on their own. Canceled. No more dressmaking bridal shoot. No notice to the bride, even. Fuck her. One click, then gone. Just like Leon. She kept going. A new client meet, bride and groom. Canceled. Bachelorette party, why would you even document that? Deleted. Another new client meet. Lesbians this time. Bride and bride. God, like one bride wasn't bad enough. Cancelled, cancelled. Then a whole string of weddings. Three, four, five weddings. All of her obligations. The crux of her career. Cancelled, 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 cancelled. No more. None. Nothing. She had probably just fucked up her whole life, she realized. She jumped out of bed and grabbed her Nikon D810 from her dresser. 
Time to be proactive. Time to be spontaneous. Time to do something that would help her move past him. The brown box holding all of Leon's possessions was waiting at her front door. He'd scheduled to pick up the belongings before they'd even broken up. Leon had even scheduled the breakup. Louisa supposed she should be furious about that. What kind of sociopath schedules a breakup as if it's some kind of predetermined thing? But she wasn't even sure if Leon scheduled it because he wanted to break up with her, or because he sensed that she wanted to break up with him. Maybe he had planned the breakup for her sake. At least he got the time wrong. The fight, the breakup, they didn't happen exactly when he predicted. Close. Not exactly. And it wasn't like she hadn't felt it coming. She probably could have taken a stab at scheduling it herself. Wasn't that the same for every breakup she'd ever had? There was always a sense. Like the air gets heavier. Like gravity pulls your heart to the earth with more force. When she was five years old, Luisa's sister told her that old people sagged because the devil was trying to drag them all to hell. And she'd cried for a week. She got on her knees and and popped off the camera lens. She sized up the box in a close-up that made Leon's belongings look like a landscape, a mountain range of forgotten minutiae. She snapped a few photographs, moving into slightly different positions to get fresh angles and better lighting. Then she sat next to the box and called Nika. The call went to voicemail. Nika, hi, it's Louisa. Listen, I'm not trying to be insensitive, but I still have some of Leon's things here. And it's just weird. He he scheduled in his calendar to pick them up on the 21st from 3 o'clock to 3.15 p.m., and obviously that date came and went because, well, we were all busy with, with the funeral. Anyways, I, I know this sounds stupid, but somehow these keeping these things here, despite the fact that he's scheduled to pick them up, it, it, it somehow it feels, I, I, I don't know, disrespectful. Like, I think it would really bother him. Listen, I'm sorry. I'm being nuts. I know you're going through a lot. Just whenever you have the chance, that's all. Thanks. She sank back into the wall, lightly tapping the box with her foot and scrolled through the calendar events. Events stretched on for months and years after Leon's death. Small patches of inactivity, and then his calendar would be crammed and colorful again, overflowing with order. None of the scheduled events featured her. None suggested a possibility for reunion. But why hadn't Leon stopped sharing his calendar with her? She'd kept waiting for it to happen. Louisa was surprised he hadn't done it in mid-breakup. Not doing it at all seemed very... inefficient. Maybe the more important question was, why hadn't she stopped merging her calendar with his? She missed him. She didn't want to miss him, but she did. The fact that she couldn't schedule something with him made her want to schedule something with him. She opened her calendar to add a new event. Get over Leon. Sounded too harsh. Besides, she'd already gotten over him. But then he went and died, and now it was a whole other thing. Move beyond Leon. No, that that felt a little too new-agey. She named the event Louisa Beyond Leon, and left it at that, knowing she'd probably change it 50 more freaking times before she was done. Leon. Leon, Leon, Leon. 
The start date was today, and the event was ongoing, coding her future with a pleasant lavender hue. Louisa scrolled back to Sunday, September 8th, Leon's mother's birthday. He had scheduled buying flowers for his mother's grave. The following night had been one of their final dates, and Leon had brought flowers for her. Buying Louisa flowers didn't appear anywhere on his calendar. Obviously, he'd purchased them along with his mother's. But wasn't that somewhat spontaneous? Louisa tried to remember how she'd reacted when he'd given her the flowers. But she couldn't picture herself. A new event appeared on Leon's calendar. Right then, as she watched. For that evening. Then another one for the next day. And another. Water plants. Said one. Three-month oil change. Another. Vacuum dryer lint hose. Check OkCupid profile for potential matches. Finished draft of article. And then the one that made Louisa drop her phone. Rescheduled from the 21st to this upcoming Saturday from 3 to 3.15 p.m. Retrieve belongings from Louisa's apartment. Louisa might have been ready to move beyond Leon. But clearly, even in death, Leon wasn't ready to move beyond efficiency. Dear Persephone, I've recently discovered that I'm an artist. I quit my job to focus on my craft, but my wife doesn't support my creative endeavors. How do I get her to see the great Satan's spell of capitalism for what it is? Freshly fulfilled in Framingham. Dear Freshly Fulfilled, perhaps you could ask your wife to make art of her own. Some possible ideas and titles to suggest to her. An oil painting of you called This Freeloader Can't Be Serious. Dear Persephone, your advice recently feels cynical and biting. Might I suggest a long bubble bath? Mixed with the blood of the Ceratophrys, South American horned frog, it will fill your bitter aura with a warm chakra light. Soak in it. Soak in it for a very long time. Enlightened in Worcester. Dear Enlightened, there's only one kind of enlightenment associated with the city of Worcester, and that is the enlightenment one feels when they leave the city of Worcester. My advice is to take your awful toad bloodbath and get the hell out while you can. Dear Persephone, I hate my job, but I can't afford to quit. Can you recommend a spell or chant to deal with the daily grind? Trapped in Tewksbury. Dear Trapped, no. Charlotte, sit down. This might take a few minutes. Yes, it's about work. Of course, it's about work. It's always about work. So on Monday... I'm in my office, and I get this weird feeling in my stomach, this strange little rumble. So I'm sitting there wondering if the chicken salad I had for lunch was tainted, and I'm about to die from salmonella or whatever, when I hear it. The pneumatic tube from the boss's office, it empties right outside my door. Sometimes I forget anyone is even up there. Sometimes I wonder if there really is anyone up there. I mean, I've never seen this guy. You know how weird that is, but you know what's even weirder to me now? I stopped thinking about it years ago. It just became a part of the work routine. 
panda bear is weird. He's in my fucking space every day with his hippie vegan voodoo bullshit, and it's made me realize that the weird things only bother me when they're in my face all the time. A boss who only communicates through pneumatic tubes? Weird, yes, but who cares? I can just pretend he doesn't exist, and everyone is hunky-dory. But that means when a message does come down, it's a big deal, right? Like, if our dear lord and employer is silent in the heavens, when he does send word down from the mount, us zealots best hop too, know what I mean? So I scramble to open the tube. ASAP. Message reads, Signs suggest a key event will transpire on Friday. Use various methods of divination to predict outcome. Report accordingly. That's it. Well, that's what it says. Keep in mind, whenever we receive these messages in the past, nothing close to anything so freaking cryptic. It's like, pay these invoices, bill these accounts, rewrite editorial, tuna on wheat sub roll. Yes, I've sent plenty of tuna subs up the tube before. <laughs> One got stuck once, and the office reeked of rotting tuna for a month. Had to pay someone to hose out the tube. Took three weeks to get the job done. Boss still orders them up the tube, though. Loves his tuna, that mysterious wizard weirdo. So here's this message. And I just want to scribble, huh, what, on the back of a paper and send it back upstairs to sweet. But no, that's not a good idea because the boss man isn't one to repeat himself. Meanwhile, my stomach is groaning something fierce like GI earthquakes, and I'm starting to feel like I'm getting sick. Did you know gastromancy is a form of divination? Yes, that's correct. A way to tell the future via your own abdominal gas. I know, I know, but I don't have regular methods of divination because I think divination is bullshit. You know that, but the boss doesn't know that, so I'm having these weird gas bubbles and I go to my desk to Google all the various methods of divination because I have no freaking clue what I'm doing, and that's one of the methods I see. I mean, I've got this gas and I'd rather use it than slaughter a chicken or play with bones or whatever. So I go for it. I try to figure out this mystery solely from my tummy rumbles. Except I don't know what I'm doing, so I go around the office to ask if anyone knows about gastromancy. Michael? New guy I told you about? No clue. He's more useless than I am. I hired him because he was a warm body, and I wanted to balance out the freak-to-normal ratio. So I go see Panda Bear, and I ask him if he knows anything about gastromancy. Idiot threatens to email HR again. Can you believe that? So I try and ask him as sincerely as possible. Tell him I know gastromancy is a real thing and I want to read the signs. Know what that little panda punk does? Flips me off. That little hippy dippy piece of shit. He flips me off and he says, read this sign. Except his voice cracks and he looks like he can't believe what he's doing, like he's having an out of body experience. I think Mary Wollstonecraft actually did possess that fuzzy little creep because for a brief moment, he had a sack of balls made of something other than dead jellyfish. So I just laughed and I said, good one, PB, and went back to my office. Probably reported me to Tyrell again, spineless twerp. So all week, I'm studying up on gastromancy. And I mean, you know me. You know I think this is all a crock of crap. But for some reason, this is so out there 
that I find it interesting. On Wednesday afternoon, another tube, boss is asking for progress. All I have is that the event has something to do with an opportunity, a new adventure. Don't ask me how I figured that out. <laughs> I ate steak bombs for lunch all week just to make sure I had gas. Yeah, <laughs> extra onions. Anyway, the boss responds immediately. Continue. Must be nice pulling a salary, sending one-word snotty notes to your subordinates all day while you dine out on tuna tubes. Still, I keep at it, and I go balls out ballistic on this gastromancy shit. I get myself a big gulp of Mountain Dew and Chuggalug right there in my office. I'm burping so loud, Michael swings by and asks if I'm okay. He finds me sitting there with my piss-yellow neon tub of soda acid and a stethoscope up to my stomach. Another average Thursday afternoon for Gemma Linzer Coolidge. That's why I was late coming home that night. Because of what my stomach was telling me. An exciting opportunity. A whole new way of life for a whole community of people. Including me. Including you. So, Friday I come in. I send my findings up the tube. I send all my research. I explain my methods. I wait. All freaking day. Pacing back and forth near that clear little tube. I send up a tuna sub at lunch. Extra celery. Want to make sure that my work didn't get stuck, you know? Plus a little brown nosing never hurt. An hour before closing time, a tube comes down. Thump. I open the tube, and I, I find my severance package. I'm getting laid off. The boss recommends I take my accrued vacation and sick days and leave immediately. And you know what the crazy thing is? I'm terrified, but, but I think we're going to be okay. I know we're going to be okay. Even crazier, I know I was right about my stomach. I just, I just know I was right. I didn't want to fight with him. I didn't want to explain it, but I just, I feel it. I, I grabbed this before I left. It's the crystal ball, and I can't fucking stand it. And I never thought of it as anything other than a paperweight. But after I get fired, I sat at my desk feeling defeated, and I pick this thing up. And you know what I saw? Us. The baby. Together. Smiling. Happy. So I took this with me because... Because I'm scared shitless. But if you forgive me for screwing up my job, if you tell me you still love me, I know we're going to be okay. I mean that. I feel it in my stomach. I feel it in the stars. I see it in this crystal. And that's all that matters. Dear Diary, October 9th. My insistence on putting others on a pedestal has proven to be my downfall again. My silly personal narrative for PB ended up being as counterfeit as some of his hard fake protein supplement. Tofurky indeed. He seems so different, so genuine, so uninhibited, possessed with a vitality so dense you could taste it in the air around him. 
and initially everything was better. I threw three parties in the span of one week. Three! A welcoming party for the new guy, another for PB's promotion, and a goodbye party for that party pooper of a woman. She wasn't invited. With the party pooper gone, the office was filled with laughter and music, bongos mostly, and some light pan flute, both courtesy of PB, of course. I can't even call him PB anymore. He's EE now, the initial standing for something as odious as his newfound behavior. Days after his promotion, he started treating me like a lowly subject, or worse, an intern. He even asked me to write an article for him. 500 words, predicting stock tips using a form of divination I'm sure he made up solely so I would clean out the office refrigerator. Fungimancy, he called it. I recognize this is my own doing. Family has always told me to scale back my projections. Don't hold people to such high standards. Embrace reality. But under the surface, their advice told me something awful about human nature. Don't trust people. And so, I've lost trust in myself. Very soon, I may take one last walk over the Longfellow, where our two cities meet. I'll be carrying you in my breast pocket diary over my heart. May we dive down and kiss our old friend Charles together. Tyrell. Michael needed to write an article for political prognostication, but the one thing he knew less about than psychic powers was politics. What was he doing here? Third Sight didn't seem like a very friendly work environment. The woman who'd hired him had just been canned, the editor-in-chief had apparently never been seen by anyone on staff, extinction events stared at him all day with a pen in hand apparently taking notes on Michael's every minor screw-up, and the HR director had been scowling at Michael every time he passed, ever since Michael declined Tyrell's invitation to the after-work office social, a margaritathon last Michael Friday. Michael, to the margaritathon! It hadn't been hard enough to turn down the margaritathon. margaritathon. Even without Tyrell's disapproval. Come to the margaritathon! Margaritathon sounded fan-fucking-tastic. But if Michael went to margaritathon to be social... Margaritathon! surely drink, so that meant he couldn't go. The margaritathon! Here he was, two weeks into the new job, already the office asshole. Focus, Michael. I arranged for this opportunity. Sit up straight, do the work, and you'll be fine. Michael knew Leon's disembodied voice was right. He took a deep breath, pictured Leon, and grabbed the first book off his shelf, an ancient Chinese method of divination, the I Ching. Except the book was big and dusty and complex, and some of it was written in Chinese. He started to panic again, feeling sweat drip down his armpits. Look it up online. You know how to do that. Come on, Michael, don't be your own worst enemy. Another deep breath. Eight. Eight. Eleven. Eleven. Five. Five. Four. Four. Nine. Nine. One. One. Seven. Seven. Six. Six. Ten. Ten. Three. three 12, 12, 2. Michael looked up the rules to using the I Ching. They, they were actually fairly straightforward. Take three coins, shake them up, and count the results after six throws. Heads are worth three, tails are worth two. You draw an unbroken line if the number is odd, a broken line in the center if the number is even. Six lines in total, in ascending order, and you write the number of your throw after each. It's like a game. I can do this. You're doing it wrong. You're using all different coins. The coins need to be the same. They need to match. Michael was following the instructions word for word, and there was nothing, 
about all the coins having to be the same, and this goddamn office had a full-service bar in the break room for anybody to use anytime they wanted because it helped with the prognostication. Jesus Christ, how does anyone get anything done at all here when there's an entire cabinet of top-shelf liquor free for the asking just 20 feet away? Stop that train. Derail it. Derail it. Say the numbers. 811-549-176-10312. Use matching coins if he wants you to. Who cares? It's a game. Keeping your job is a game. So Michael borrowed three of Extinction Event's matching Sacagaweas, and Extinction Event seemed so very pleased, and Michael seemed so very grateful. He tossed the coins. Michael's aging chart started with one unbroken line followed by two broken lines, then another unbroken line followed by two more broken lines. An unbroken line followed by two broken lines means thunder in the aging. So two patterns in a row meant his future contained nothing but thunder over thunder. Chapter 51. It sounded apocalyptic. But it, it turned out thunder over thunder wasn't as bad as he thought. The shock of unsettling events brings fear and trembling. Move towards a higher truth, and all will be well. The Ching explained. Those who maintain a reverence for proper principles and an inner commitment to higher things are unperturbed by shocking events. They simply concentrate on deepening their understanding. If you find yourself feeling threatened by circumstances, withdraw into stillness and meditation. The only remedy for doubt and fear is a reconnection with higher truth. Shock is an important and beneficial teacher to those who follow the path of the sage. Make good use of this new beginning, and good fortune results. Michael wrote all of this down, and took a strange comfort in it. While he had no idea what this meant about the red line, he liked playing the Yijing. He had been through some shocking events lately. Leon's death being the biggest he could think of, and lines like, The only remedy for doubt and fear is a reconnection with higher truth, put him at ease, even if he wasn't sure what his higher truth was. Michael sat straighter in his chair and read the rest of the rules, which called for inverting every changing line to their opposite meaning. Changing lines were drawn from rolls of six or nine. Michael redrew his chart, changing the one nine and six he'd received in the first two lines and rechecking their pattern. Number 41, Thunder Over Water. This section was meant to expand on the results of Thunder Over Thunder, hinting at further steps that should be taken. The Ching's judgment read, Deliverance. The Southwest furthers. If there's no longer anywhere one has to go, return brings good fortune. If there is still something where one has to go, hastening brings good fortune. Michael nodded. He still had a ways to go. Return brings good fortune. Return. Return of Leon. Leon's death had been his shock. His memory was Michael's higher truth. His sage, a man who maintained reverence for proper principles. Michael opened the laptop Leon had left at their apartment. He flipped through some files, then opened Leon's Google Calendar. The laptop had been left at the apartment for Michael. No password protection to deal with. The apartment had been left for Michael. The job had been left for Michael. Leon had left. 
for Michael. Leon wouldn't have needed the Yijing. Leon was the Yijing. Michael read some of Leon's entries in his calendar, most of them fairly inconsequential. Reminders to iron his clothes, water his plants, run laundry. Then he started planning events of his own, copying Leon's style and voice, starting with tonight, after work, six o'clock. Get to a meeting. Not enough. He was missing something. What wasn't right? Of course. He looked through the calendar from the last couple of weeks, and he rescheduled all of the events that hadn't been completed due to the inconvenience of Leon's death. Water plants. Water plants. Three-month Three month oil, oil change. change. Vacuum dryer Vacuum dryer lint hose. He resisted the temptation to click on today's date and enter an entry that would be forever ongoing. Be Leon. Then a thought struck him. Thunder over thunder. The red line train, it it sounded like thunder. Thunder over water. Red line trains ran over the Charles River at MGH Station. What did this mean? There would be a shock, but it would bring calm. Shock to the system. The secession would shock people, but out of that shock would come peace. Alewife to Braintree, Braintree to Alewife, Alewife to Ashmont. Deliverance, Michael thought, and pictured trains moving underground all day, leaving and returning to stations in an endless cycle, a constant return for those without anywhere left to go. Thank you, Leon. He scheduled an event in his calendar. Send thank you card. Greater Boston is written and produced by Alexander, Danner, and Jeff Van Driesen, with recording and technical assistance from Mark Harmon. Please consider supporting the show through our Patreon campaign. We've recently revamped our patron levels with new rewards, including a chance to receive handwritten postcards from Dimitri. You can also help the show by leaving us a review on iTunes or social media. In order of appearance, this episode featured Alexander Danner as the narrator, Braden Lamb as Leon Stamatis, Julia Propp as Luisa Alvarez, Lydia Anderson as Gemma Linzer Coolidge, Arun Sanuti as Tyrell Fredericks, James Oliva as Michael Tate, and James Capabianco as Extinction Event Paletti. Also featuring Jeff Van Driesen as the fortune teller and freshly fulfilled in Framingham, Mike Linden as Enlightened in Worcester, and Ben Flamenhaft as Trapped in Tewksbury. Interviews recorded with Greater Boston residents. Charlie on the MTA is performed by Emily Peterson and Dirk Teedy, Lowell, Massachusetts by Mark Harmon, Red Apple Rag, Blackberry Rag, and Circus Music by Adrienne Howard, Emily Peterson, and Dirk Teedy. On Questions of Responsibility, Act 2 by Lloyd Rogers, and Drum Tracks by Jim Johansson. Some sound effects and music used from public domain and Creative Commons sources. Episode transcripts will be posted online at greaterbostonshow.com. Greater Boston is written in part at the Writers' Room of Boston, a nonprofit workspace for Boston area writers. Find out more at writersroomofboston.org. I have never been to a margarita pot. Me neither. Yeah, I, don't, they I don't know exist. if that's a thing, but Alexander made it up. Okay. You're doing great. Do a couple more of those and we'll move on. Michael.
come to the Margaritathon? The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. Night has fallen, the moon is full, and we're inviting you to listen to Canada by Night, a podcast where professional improvisers play Vampire the Masquerade. Detective-turned-vampire Everett Fry accidentally becomes the sheriff of New Haven, an experimental town where they're testing if vampires and humans can coexist. Stuck leading a ragtag group of officers, the Bruja bounty hunter Val, the gangrel news reporter Evangeline, and the Tremere blood witch Doris, can Everett keep the town running? Or will everyone end up liquidated by the Vampire Council of Canada? Trending on global fiction charts and produced by Dum Dums and Dice, whose podcast Dum Dums and Dragons ranked number two of all fiction podcasts in America. Listen now to find out why Canada by Night has been downloaded more than a half a million times. Canada by Night, its interview with the vampire, if it had all the characters from Parks and Rec in it.